Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone. So this week, I decided to go back to a topic that you all know by now is near and dear to my heart, and that is cats. Specifically, I'm going to be talking about different medical issues that cats can have that not everyone realizes are an issue for them, as well as just different medical facts about them in general that I think are good information for concerned and informed pet owners to know. I'm going to start off with some information that has to do with either questions I get asked a lot at work at my day job, which is at a cat hospital, or just things that get commented on that I think a lot of people are misinformed about, and it's not their fault, but just legitimately no one's ever told them, or it's just not something that they've ever been made aware of. Okay, so the first thing that I hear a lot at work is, oh, well, she only vomits occasionally. Now, just to be clear, vomiting at all is not a normal healthy cat behavior. Even hairballs are not technically normal healthy cat behavior, because if they're processing the fur that they're grooming off of themselves the way they're supposed to, they should just pass it in their stools. They shouldn't be having hairballs. That's why they have hairball medications so that you can prevent it. And I think there's a big misconception for a lot of people that vomiting is a normal thing for a cat to do because of hairballs. But they're actually two completely different things. The hairballs are literally what they sound like. They are hairballs. They have groomed a bunch of fur off of themselves and their body hasn't processed it out as stool and so it comes back up. Like I said, that's actually not normal. They should be passing it and if they can't, there's medications you can give them that can help them pass it. But I think because of that, a lot of people assume that it's normal for a cat to vomit occasionally, and it's not. It's just as normal for them to vomit occasionally as it would be for you or me to do it. You know, if I or you, I assume, were vomiting once or twice a month even, if it was consistent, at a certain point you're going to talk to your doctor and say, hey, this is happening and I don't think it's normal. And it's exactly the same for them. Even once or twice a month, is not a normal behavior for a cat. With that information, there is one caveat where some cats will do what's called regurgitation. Regurgitation is not the same as vomiting, but you should clarify with your veterinarian which one it sounds like is happening for your cat because one is more medically concerning than the other. Vomiting is when they're actually having abdominal contractions and everything is coming up from their abdomen, from their stomach. Regurgitation is more of a they swallowed it and it came right back up situation. So for instance, if one of your cats gorges on their food and just eats a ton of it really, really quickly, and then all of the food comes right back up, that's more likely to be regurgitation than vomiting. It still could be vomiting though. So like I said, check with your veterinarian. Another thing I'll sometimes hear at work is, I didn't realize that cats had anal glands. A lot of people think that's more of a dog situation, but it actually can also happen in cats. Just like with dogs, what happens is the anal glands that are on either side of their rectum fill up with the anal gland fluid, and then for whatever reason, the cats don't express it normally when they have a bowel movement. The reason this can become a problem 
is because those anal glands can fill up with that fluid and in some cases can actually rupture and cause abscesses, which are large infections. So for obvious reasons, that's not an ideal situation for the cat. Something else I hear at work, which I think is unique to perhaps my particular hospital, or at least something that's not heard at every single hospital, is why are your vaccines so expensive? When I got them at the shot clinic, it was a lot cheaper. There's actually a couple of different reasons for this, but the main one is that at my particular hospital, we only use non-adjuvanted vaccines. Adjuvanted vaccines are actually the more common type of vaccine, and they're also less expensive to manufacture. The problem is that any adjuvanted vaccine has an additive in it that causes a inflammation reaction at the injection site. It does this in order to increase its efficacy to make it a more effective vaccine. The problem is that in cats, that chronic inflammation at that site can cause fibrosarcomas, which are a type of cancerous tumor. This is unfortunately a known problem with the adjuvanted vaccines. You may be asking, if that's the case, why are these vaccines still used? The answer is that they are a lot, a lot less expensive to make. And because they are so much less expensive to make, they are still very prevalent in a lot of different veterinary hospitals and shot clinics. Not every veterinary hospital uses them. We don't, for instance. The hospital I work at refuses to use those vaccines because we know that they have a chance of causing that tumor. It is not a high percentage of cats that develop the fibrosarcoma. It's roughly 1 in 1,000 to 1 in 10,000 cats that develop this type of fibrosarcoma. But if it's your cat that develops this type of tumor, it's not going to feel like it's just one cat out of a thousand, it's going to feel like it's a hundred percent of cats because it's your cat. It's the one that you love and care about. And because of this, the hospital I work at refuses to use those vaccines. I do also want to be clear that I'm not trying to say hospitals that use these vaccines are bad hospitals or performing bad medical treatments. I don't personally think it's the ideal. However, some of the places that these vaccines get used are shelters. And to be perfectly frank, the shelters can't afford to buy the more expensive non-adjuvanted vaccines because they are a lot more expensive and they have very limited funding. Also, the companies that make the adjuvanted vaccines often donate some product or make special deals with shelters to decrease the price for them. So they have to use what they can get their hands on at a price they can afford. It doesn't make them bad doctors. It doesn't make them bad technicians. It doesn't mean they don't care about the animals. It simply means that for them, because of what they have available, they have to use vaccines that may not be necessarily the perfect ideal vaccine. However, because this is a health risk that could potentially affect your cat, I do think it's something that people should be aware of. For anyone who'd like to look up adjuvanted vaccines to find out more information, it is spelled A-D-J-U-V-A-N-T, adjuvant, and you can find more information online or by asking your veterinarian. A question I get asked a lot at work is also, which food should I feed my cat? This is a very loaded question for most veterinary offices. 
for dogs and cats because there are a lot of different factors that determine what diet is best for your particular pet. For example, cats that have any kind of a urinary issue shouldn't be on certain diets. And that's just the way it is, because if you don't want them to continue to have a urinary issue, you need to keep them away from them. Whereas a kitten needs one type of diet, a mother cat needs another, a six-year-old adult male cat needs a different one. There's a lot of factors. There's no one single food that's perfect for every single cat. If you do have any concerns that the food you're feeding your cat may not be the right one, then I recommend that you touch base with your veterinarian and see if there's anything that they would recommend for your cat's specific health requirements and needs. That being said, there are a couple of things I can tell you about the different types of foods that you may want to feed or not feed your cats. I'm going to start off with kittens. Kittens should always be on kitten food. Adult food doesn't meet their nutritional requirements, so if you have a kitten, please make sure you're feeding it an actual diet meant for kittens and not just a regular indoor diet of some kind. This also goes for pregnant and lactating mother cats. They need the extra calories because they're putting a lot more of their own intake into producing milk for their babies. So if you have a pregnant or lactating mother cat at home, they should also be getting kitten food because they need the extra calcium, they need the extra calories. They're going to be using a lot of them to actually create the kittens as well as feed them afterwards. Another general food statement that I believe applies to every cat that's out there is if your veterinarian has recommended a prescription diet, please don't assume that the one that's sold over the counter, even if it's by the same company, is the same food because it's not. Prescription diets are more expensive, unfortunately, than the over-the-counter diets, but the prescription diets are much more closely regulated. Because it's a prescription, they have to actually maintain certain standards. They can't change a lot of their sources. They can't change the formulation without telling us. Whereas the over-the-counter ones are given a lot more leeway because they're not a prescription. So even if it's from the same company, the food is not necessarily going to be the same. And it's not necessarily going to achieve the same effect that your cat needs for its health. Now, with that, though, I do want also everyone to be aware it's important to make sure your cat is eating. If they don't eat for 48 hours, it can start to affect their liver. So if your doctor recommends a prescription diet, but your cat refuses to eat it, please call them and tell them. It's not something that we can tell from a distance. You have to actually let us know. Otherwise, there's no way for the doctor to make adjustments or perhaps suggest a different option. This actually leads me into my next subject that gets brought up to me quite often at work, which is someone coming in or calling us saying, oh, my cat hasn't been eating for the last week or hasn't been eating well for the last week. This is a Big, big, big concern for cats. Cats have a lot of different reasons that they might decide not to eat, ranging from medical to stress to not liking the food because some of them are quite picky. That is a thing that happens. But if a cat does not eat at least 50% of its normal food intake for a long enough period of time, it can start to cause liver damage ranging from minor all the way up to major medical issue. 
So it's very important that if you notice your cat is not eating, that you call your veterinarian and let them know and see about bringing them in to find out what the problem is. It unfortunately is something that we see quite often where people will not call right away or will not let us know right away that the cat's not eating well. And I believe part of it is the misconception that it will pass or that it's not that big a deal that the cat didn't eat for a couple of days. I think a lot of that stems from the fact that if you or I got sick and, you know, didn't eat our normal food intake for a couple of days, we wouldn't worry that much about it. Cats' metabolisms are very, very different from ours, though, and because they are so different, it's not the same for them. And I do know personally even that I tend to anthropomorphize my cat. I tend to put human aspects onto them. It's something that's very common for us to do with our pets. The problem is that when it comes to medical issues, that doesn't work very well because though I would be fine if I didn't eat for a day because I had a bad flu, if my cats didn't eat for a day or two, I would be worried very much that something bigger was going on because I know that that is not something they're supposed to do. So if you notice that your cat isn't eating its regular food intake or maybe isn't even eating at all, I would definitely recommend calling your veterinarian and seeing about getting your cat checked out just to make sure that nothing's getting missed. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about before we go to the break is a question that I get asked a lot and unfortunately it's, I can understand why people ask because Not everyone can afford to do everything they want to at all times, but a thing I get asked a lot at work is, can you tell me what's wrong with the cat without me having to bring it in? The answer is 100% no. There are a lot of different things that can be going on that can have the exact same symptoms in terms of what gets described to us over the phone. It's one of the reasons why the veterinarians need to physically see a patient before they can prescribe medication. And there's also nothing that we can tell you to do over the phone, even that's an at-home remedy, because we can't give medical advice for a patient we haven't seen. And even if it's a cat we have seen, we can't tell you what to do for a medical issue that we haven't seen the cat for. So I can understand why people ask and I don't blame them for asking. It's it's reasonable to hope that maybe we could tell you something. Unfortunately, it's really not something we're able to do. It's not safe for your cat, for one thing, because if someone told you it was problem X, but it was actually problem Y, you could end up doing something at home for your cat that is completely the wrong medical treatment. In addition, Just because it is X or Y doesn't mean that for your particular cat, the normal treatment that we would use is the correct one. So there's really no way for us to give you that kind of medical advice over the phone. Nine times out of ten, if you call your veterinarian asking for advice for some sort of medical issue, the answer is going to be that they need to see the cat. Now, if you've recently seen your veterinarian for the same issue, then they may be able to give you a recommendation over the phone of what to do because they saw the cat for that issue recently. But even then, it's going to depend on your veterinarian and the medical issue because there are going to be times where just talking to you over the phone isn't enough information for them to give you a good medical decision. With that, we're going to go into our mid-episode break, and I will be back after that to tell you some information about some of the main 
metabolic diseases that we see in cats, as well as some of the symptoms to keep an eye out for at home. Okay, everyone. So once again, this week, I want to start off by telling you about our subscription drive. It's starting on April 16th, and during that time, if you subscribe to the network or if you upgrade your NerdSmith subscription to the next level, you'll actually also get some really cool specific to the subscription drive merchandise. It's not something you're going to be able to get the rest of the year. It's only for the subscription drive. And it's in addition to all of the benefits you get from being a subscriber, such as access to the bonus content... Uh, You get put into a monthly drawing for your subscription level every month, and if you win, you'll get something from one of the shows that you support. So definitely recommend checking that out. You can find out more information soon on our website, www.nerdsmith.org. I also recommend checking out another one of our shows, Roll Like a Girl. It's a great active play podcast where a group of talented, creative women get together and play a role-playing game together. They've got all sorts of hilarity that ensues, creative, roguish antics, and the best mascot pet ever, Chester the Mimic. So check them out at nerdsmith.org or wherever you download your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone. So now that we've finished with our mid-show break, I'm going to talk to you about different medical issues that I think are very common for cats that are something you can keep an eye out for at home. Now, I'm going to start off with a big, big disclaimer. Everything I'm about to tell you is the information I have learned over my years as a veterinary technician. However, It should not be used to diagnose whatever is going on with your cat. I am merely trying to give you information for things you can look out for so that you could potentially take your cat to the veterinarian if it's having a problem. But please, just because your cat is having the same symptoms of something I describe, don't assume that that is what's going on with your cat because there could be other things happening. Okay, so to start off with, I'm going to talk about a issue that I see in a lot of cats at work that is something that can affect a cat from any age, really. It's most concerning for male cats, especially younger male cats who may have been neutered when they were very young, but that is feline lower urinary tract disease. Now, this is something that actually affects a lot of cats. It's not always caught easily because sometimes people assume that the symptoms are more related to either urinary tract infections or uh, marking behavior. But what can happen is if your cat's urine pH is too acidic or too basic, these tiny crystals will precipitate out of the urine. It's different minerals that stick together when the pH is too low or too high. These tiny little crystals then cause a lot of bladder irritation. And depending on the cat, you can see symptoms ranging from none at all, all the way up to urinating outside the box, urinating on things, having bloody urine. There's a a wide variation and it just depends on the cat. It's life-threatening in some cases for male cats because 
their urethras are much, much smaller. So what can happen is if those crystals cause too much irritation or if there's too many of them, the urethra can become plugged either with crystals or because it's swollen from the irritation. Either way, they can't get urine out of their bladder. This isn't supposed to happen. They're supposed to be able to release the urine. And when they can't, the bladder will continue to fill because their body is still processing fluids. And eventually the bladder can rupture. For obvious reasons, most of you probably realize that that is not a good thing. Your bladder is supposed to be one solid container. It should not rupture. And if it ruptures into the abdomen and releases all of that urine into their abdomen, there can obviously be some big side effects. So if you ever notice that your cat has started to urinate outside the box, one possibility is urinary crystals. They can also get urinary tract infections and there can also be behavioral issues. But in terms of medical concerns that I see at work, urinary crystals is a big one. They do make special foods that can be given to the cats to prevent them from developing the crystals. They also have medications for it. And there are things that can be done relatively easily to manage the issue. But you have to catch it as soon as you can, because the longer it goes, the harder it is to get them back to normal. And in, like I said, in male cats, because their urethras are so much smaller, the longer it goes, the more likely they are to have a blockage issue and then run the risk of a life-threatening side effect such as their bladder rupturing. So if you see your cat urinating outside the box, if you see them straining to urinate in the box, if you see them urinating on something that you know they don't usually, or if you see blood in the urine, please contact your veterinarian right away so that you can make sure you get them checked out. And that way you can make sure to check for either the urinary crystal issue or possibly a urinary tract infection since the symptoms are very similar. The next issue I want to talk about is kidney disease, specifically chronic kidney disease, also sometimes referred to as chronic renal insufficiency renal referring to the kidneys. This is a really common issue for a lot of older cats. It is possible for a younger cat to develop kidney disease, but in most of those cases, they've developed it acutely instead of chronically because it has happened quickly due to some sort of toxin or some other kind of trigger. So instead of having chronic renal insufficiency, they have acute renal insufficiency. The treatments are often similar, but depending on the exact trigger for the acute version, it can differ quite a bit. For chronic renal insufficiency, some of the main symptoms you can look for at home are things like increased water intake and increased urination. That's one that's fairly easy to notice because most of us, when we clean the cat box, are going to notice if there's suddenly two or three times as much litter that we're having to scoop. And also, we'll tend to notice if they're spending a lot of time at the water bowl. Another thing that will sometimes happen is loss of appetite and or vomiting. And this is because a lot of their electrolytes can become imbalanced when they have kidney disease. And that imbalance then causes them to feel nauseous or have vomiting, which is something that we can monitor for at home. 
There are other symptoms to kidney disease. There's a lot of them, actually, but some of them are really hard to monitor at home if you don't have any kind of veterinary medical training. So in terms of something you can look for around the house, those are the types of behaviors you want to keep an eye out for. That being said, your cat could have none of those symptoms and still have the early beginning stages of kidney disease. So it is recommended that once your cat hits a certain age, looking into doing an annual screening of some kind to make sure you're keeping an eye out for those issues. And that's definitely something that you can talk to your veterinarian about. The next medical issue for cats that I want to talk about is one that, again, tends to be seen more in older cats. It can happen to younger cats, but generally we tend to see it when they're in the more middle-aged and geriatric range, and that is hyperthyroidism. So anyone who's owned a lot of dogs or cats may already know this, but dogs tend to go hyper thyroid, where their thyroid slows down. Cats go the opposite direction the majority of the time and they become hyperthyroid. What happens most often is that they'll get some sort of enlargement in their thyroid glands, usually caused by a non-cancerous tumor called an adenoma. So it just sits there and it grows, but the problem is that what it does is it then causes a increase in the production of thyroid hormones. That increase of thyroid hormones causes your cat's metabolism and just overall function to speed up and can then cause them other issues. The symptoms you can look for at home in particular tend to be an increased appetite, but have weight loss. So they're eating more, but they're losing weight. And then we also, because of the increased appetite, increased metabolism, tend to see things like increased drinking and urination as well. Hyperthyroidism is a very treatable disease for most cats. There are medications that are relatively inexpensive that they can be put on for the issue, and it requires a fairly standard lab test to determine whether or not they are hyperthyroid. Sometimes there are secondary tests that have to be run, which can vary in price, but overall it's not one of the most expensive metabolic issues to deal with. That being said, it is important to try to catch it as soon as you can if you start to notice the symptoms because the longer it goes, the more stress it puts on their system and the more likely they are to have secondary side effects, one of which is potentially stress to the heart due to the increased metabolic rate. Their body is pumping blood through its system faster than it should be, and that understandably puts some stress on the heart. It can also put stress on the other organs, so catching hyperthyroidism as soon as possible is always recommended. The next health issue is one that can affect cats of any age. It's something we might see in a one-year-old cat. It's also something we might see in a five- or six-year-old cat, and there can be a lot of different triggers for it, and that is feline lower airway disease. Feline lower airway disease is a problem affecting the lower airway, the lower respiratory function of the cat. So specifically, it's things that are affecting the lungs and the bronchial tubes as opposed to upper respiratory infections like a cold where they've got congestion or sneezing. The majority of the time, the 
term is used to refer to either asthma or chronic bronchitis, though in some cases, veterinary book authors will add other processes to it. Those are the main two. This particular disease process, unfortunately, does get missed a lot at home because the symptoms that you can see at home look very similar to the cat coughing up a hairball. Anyone who's ever seen a cat coughing up a hairball is familiar with the sort of body stance they take with their shoulders hunched forward and their coughing with their neck outstretched like something's going to come up. The problem is that that particular stance and cough is what you'll see also if they're having a feline lower airway disease issue. That cough, especially if you don't see a hairball come up after it, could be an indicator that your cat may have some type of allergic asthma issue or bronchiolar issue. And either way, it's definitely something that should be checked out by your veterinarian. If they cough too much, they can have the same kind of side effects that one of us would from an asthma attack. So trouble breathing is a huge problem. And for obvious reasons, if they can't catch their breath, that is a big, big concern. So if you've ever seen your cat acting like it's trying to cough up a hairball, but nothing comes up and it just does the coughing especially if you see it periodically and not just one time, because then it's possible that your cat is having some sort of lower airway disease issue. The last metabolic issue that I want to talk about is something that I do see at work, though not quite as often as some of the other ones I've mentioned, and that's that's my husky saying hi. Um, <laughs> the metabolic issue that I want to talk about is diabetes. It is something that cats can get, though it's not quite as common as some of the other ones, like I was mentioning. Diabetes in cats, symptom-wise, what you're going to see at home, tends to be, unfortunately, similar to some of the other things I've already mentioned. An increase in water intake and increase in urination are the two big ones. It tends to happen in heavier cats, so if you notice that your cat is overweight and also having those symptoms, then in that situation, diabetes might be more of a concern, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not having one of the other health issues that I've already mentioned. Another potential symptom that you might see at home, especially if your cat happens to have been diabetic for a longer period of time, is feline diabetic neuropathy. What happens is that the chronically high blood glucose levels actually can cause some nerve damage. Generally speaking, what you'll see first at home if this starts to happen is that instead of walking up on their back toes, they'll walk flat-footed in the back. So you'll notice that there's a weird way they're walking. It might even look like they're limping. And it's very important that if you see that behavior, you contact your veterinarian right away because that only happens when the diabetes has been around for a while, when they've been dealing with it for a longer period of time. Unfortunately, since the cats can't tell us exactly how they feel and exactly what's going on, it can be really hard to differentiate between the metabolic issues without going to the veterinarian and doing some diagnostic workup. So again, as I've said already multiple times this episode, if you see any of these symptoms, 
contact your veterinarian, see about getting your cat taken in, and then that way they can let you know what they suspect based off of their exam, as well as what diagnostics they would recommend in order to move forward with figuring out what's going on with your cat. I hope you enjoyed this week's topic. I cannot seem to stress enough that if you see something strange going on with your cat or your dog or any other pet you happen to have, you should contact your veterinarian. And with that, I'll be back next week. Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Sorry, guys. We got to jump in. I'm sorry. What do you do? What do you mean jump in? You're going to do a wild jump. You're going to kill I us all. I don't have a choice. Oh, I'm no, sorry. this isn't good. You know what happened last time. It, we're not. I got to go. Sorry. Oh, hold God. on. Guys, we're taking fire. Just land us near a hospital. Hold on. Like what you hear? This is a small sample of the action and excitement that awaits you every Monday on the Chaotic Goodness Podcast. Download us on your favorite podcast app and join us for space opera, action, adventure, and lots and lots of console cleaning. Let the chaos begin. Now we can be found as part of the NerdSmith Podcast Network. Find us at nerdsmith.org. You want to be a moving service? I mean, I am pretty strong. I guess I could help. Ready for an adventure, ladies? Join Nats. It's okay. Everything dies. <laughs> Willow. Are we in the city? God, I hope not. Amira. Can oh. I do an insight check as they're like going to help? And Nova. Oh God, is this a baby? I threw it. On Roll Like a Girl. Available on nerdsmith.org or wherever you get your podcasts.